Speaking the truth to the state capitol, this is Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Rickens, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, good show today. Uh, we've got uh, a couple of gubernatorial candidates lined up. Uh, Teresa Thibodeau is in studio with her running mate. We'll get to that in a second. In the second hour, Charles W. Herbster is going to phone in. So I guess today we're going to talk uh, gubernatorial stuff uh, I will be remiss and get yelled at by the producer if I don't introduce myself. I'm Jack Riggins, host of Drive Time Lincoln, and Johnny Cadillac is producing the show today. It is day eight of the exploratory mayor campaign. Uh, my committee does tell me, though, that uh, there is another uh, candidate potentially an exploratory campaign here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and that is uh, Suzanne Geist. So, see, we're out there working, trying to figure it out, do good things for Lincoln. Uh, Teresa, welcome to Drive Time Lincoln. Thank you for having Trent and I here today, Jack. It's a pleasure to be back here. I know you were out of town last time, but great to be back in studio and a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, we appreciate you giving the time. Uh, obviously, the governor's race and and our reach here in Lincoln, uh, everybody's interested. And, and I kind of feel, um, well, I, I should take lessons from Trent, I understand. He himself is experienced in the radio. Well, that doesn't mean you could take lessons from me, but if you have <laughs> not introduced yourself as the host, I was going to say, I'm Jack Riggins, and welcome to Drive Time. There you go. No, you know, uh, it's fun. I'm a new, you know, I'm a year into radio. Uh, it's a fun platform and it's nice to meet other folks that have been doing it and, and their different takes. Um, I guess my first question would be, how is the campaign going? Um, you're coming down to the final legs here and, uh, this one has been very interesting if you're an observer. This has been a very interesting campaign across the state. Our campaign is going wonderfully. We have been traveling just anywhere and everywhere across this entire state. And our buzz and interest has tripled over the last few weeks. And then after the debate last Monday, it's, you know, we're getting messages for signs, for questions, messages of support anywhere and everywhere. And Nebraskans are really paying attention to this governor's race because this is a very, very important race for Nebraska. When we talk about you know, the regular things of property taxes and education, but there's so much more that the next governor will have to deal with. It's federal government overreach, protecting our farmlands and protecting them from the 30 by 30 that the federal government wants to implement. Uh, protecting our food supply when we are having drought conditions and fires in addition to the 30 by 30, we're seeing a lot of rural Nebraska very, very scared. Mm -hmm. And really that affects our whole state because if not all 93 counties are healthy, our entire state can't be healthy. And our rural part of our state does provide the food for the urban part of our state. So it's it's a big deal for, for the whole state. And being a governor that is cognizant of this, is watching out for it, is willing to stand up and say, hey, this isn't right, even when it's not the popular thing to say. And also a governor that is very cognizant and determined to bridge that urban-rural divide. And that is why uh, I asked Trent Luce if he would agree to be the lieutenant governor. He's knowledgeable on the ag side. He was uh, 
one of the first people in our state to start that countrywide resistance on the 30 by 30. Uh, his knowledge on our water rights is extensive. And then I bring that urban knowledge to the table as well. Uh, Trent, is this your first time into politics? It is. Uh, how has it been for you kind of getting into it and experience it? You certainly uh, know your stuff out there and in your neck of the woods, but uh, this politics is interesting. Well, I thought politics was ugly, and it's <laughs> 100 times more disgusting than I thought. Mm-hmm. But I will follow that up with it's been more rewarding than it's been disgusting because what Teresa talked about, and we get to the people and we represent the people that feel like they've not been heard from, that feel like there's not been enough transparency in government at the state, county, and at the federal level. They're hungry for somebody that wants to be a listener. And the first time that I endorsed Teresa publicly, I said, this is the best listener I've ever met. We need somebody that will listen, somebody that will help empower people back in the home to home county, whatever that may be, because this little book I got in my pocket says that all politics should stay local, and that's where the power is. That we have forfeited that power from the county level to the state, and the state's forfeited it to the federal government. We need to get it back. And so it's been very rewarding to get out in each of the counties, visit with the people, have some old friends, and, and make new acquaintances and increase the tribe even bigger, because what's coming down and what Teresa alluded to is very severe, and we have crippled the infrastructure for fu- food and fuel. You know, when Joe Biden signed Executive Order 18004 on January the 27th, 2021, gas prices across the board were $2.14. Today, we saw diesel for $5.66, and gas prices are right at $4 a gallon. That makes an impact on food production because everything about food production is tied to efficient utilization of the resources and i'll just remind people jack and i know that you're telling me it's time to kind of move on but one gallon of diesel fuel replaces 500 man hours of food labor production wow my great grandparents farmed with horses and mules it's not something we want to go back to and if you think that this food system is really secure, then you're not paying attention. And that's why I echo what Teresa said. The next governor of Nebraska is the most important governor we've ever had. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not telling you to get on your radio guy. You know, we're just, we try to jam pack the time we have. One of the things, uh, I've listened to different interviews, obviously, is, is you talked about things you're hearing from the people and kind of the confusion and junk, uh, of this particular race. Um, what separates you from the other candidates and, and what you're hearing from people? Well, what I'm hearing from people is thank you for cutting through the noise and just talking about real issues and what your plans are for our great state. And as we continue our conversations, what I'm hearing over and over is we don't want to look to the government to fix our problems. The government never does a great job doing that. Um, in fact, we, we came up with the term, if we grew food like we grew government, nobody would ever go hungry. Mm-hmm. And But what they're looking for is, hey, show us the opportunity so we can prosper. And once we can prosper, we will invest back into our communities. Everybody in Nebraska, no matter where you are, they love where they live and they want to continue the great life that we have, but they just can't do it. Our taxes are too high. They're concerned about our education. And it's it's in addition to the divisive curriculum and the sex standards that were tried to be shoved in. It's the fact that our children aren't graduating proficient. Yet we say we have an 87% graduation rate 
But if they're not ready to enter the world, then why are we pushing them through? And how can we dive deep into there and figure out what is going on? Figure out why our teachers are leaving in droves. Because our children are our next generation. And we say it, a politician runs for the next job. A statesman runs for the next generation. And that's what Trent and I are about. And if we don't take our children back and return that power to the parents to decide what's best for the, for our children, we're, we're going to be in pretty bad shape. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, it's an important election uh, in Nebraska, um, here in Lancaster County. I think people hear me talk about it all the time, not just local, but state and then obviously federal. I'd be remiss because you've been very honest about some trauma you've had in your life. And I think, uh, one... I don't know that the right word is congratulations, survivor, but it's very brave. And I, th- I also think uh, being able to stand up and talk about those things openly empowers people. I'm a big advocate of mental health, you know, different mm-hmm. thing. Um, but one of the questions, the Guardian, the Nebraska Cornusker Guardian came out with a story today really talking about power structures in the GOP. Um, and it dawned on me, you were close to Charles W. Herbster at one point in campaign. Did you ever see him grope anybody or anything like that? No, I never did. And I did talk about that publicly. I never saw any of that type of behavior. I did see a lot of chaos and disorganization and poor leadership skills. And I haven't come out in. I'm not going to make a decision on on anything about the accusations but what I can say is he showed his true leadership colors in there. Um, and actually saying congratulations is a good thing because going from victim to survivor, it is a long process, but you feel so good when you get there. Sure. But having been there in the past, I know exactly what victims are going through and what they're looking at. And instead of thinking outside of himself and what this could do to other people, He decided to continually publicly harass somebody. In fact, go to a paid commercial against a person. That is no kind of leader. And that's where I see that. You have to look at how your your actions affect everyone around you, especially if you want to be governor. Everything you say and do is always out there in the public. And if you are not cognizant of what your words or actions may say to others, you shouldn't be in the position. Yeah, and a lot of my listeners ask, because I I wrote down that I think a lot of Nebraskans are confused kind of by this dynamic right now. And one of the things, uh, again, I believe in innocent until proven guilty. I think most people do. The timing of it is what what questions. If you were in that position, how would you go about trying to either, I guess, clarify your name or um, fight fight back? And I don't want to say fight because it's very serious on both sides, whether it's true or not true, but it happened in a political race. It did. And hey, what I said is people can have the discussion, but let's keep it civil. Mm-hmm. Let's not all of a sudden presume guilt, but let's also not presume that somebody is lying. Have those good discussions. Um, now, I know both of the people involved in this, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't, you know, call Slama. I've never known her to be a liar. Right. But it's going to get addressed in the courts where it should, and let the courts decide that. It's a t- 
time that as a society we quit trying something in the court of public opinion because we don't know all the facts. We only see what's out there in the media or posted on on Facebook. And you can't make a good decision that way. So have the discussions, but keep them civil and be mindful of other people that could be in a really, really tough spot right now. Yeah. Who now are too scared to come forward and say anything because they think the same thing may happen to them. And I and I would think that, you know, you're of the camp of, you know, see something, say something, report, don't don't be afraid. I mean, this is an important thing for all of us to know on a lot of subjects you know absolutely and if you see something i do encourage say something if you are a victim it's it is scary i've been there and you are afraid and you're intimidated but there are places out there that can help you there's nonprofits. there's your church and there are hospitals and they will help you get through the process they're not going to force you to do anything that you don't want to do but it's that first step in taking that pathway from victim to survivor that some people unfortunately never get to. Yeah. Uh, but if there are any victims out there listening, I can say that it's a tough path, but it's so rewarding once you get there. And I encourage anyone to, to reach out to the, any of the areas that I said, and just start that path to survivorship. Yeah, good Jack, if yeah. I could quickly just sure. answer one question that you asked Teresa, first of all, I'm the kind of guy that if I see something, I'm probably going to act on something. I'm with you. That would, that, cannot be tolerated in any way shape or form and you you just take care of it but you asked Teresa what separates her and what separates her is i've been a witness to this now for six straight weeks even though i've known her since october mm-hmm. she has not wanted to get in the position of slinging mud we have talked about why she needs to be the next governor of nebraska and focus on what the people the citizens of this state need day in and day out and that's what separates her to the top because she is really in tune with every issue that's affecting people in all 93 counties. That's what the people need. Yeah, well said. What uh, What's next as you kind of go to the final sprint? We are. It is a final sprint. We, again, are all over the state until until Election Day where I have to be back in Omaha so I can vote. Uh, we are... Back in Norfolk tomorrow, we're uh, in Sherman County. We're going to be in Greeley. We're in Fremont. It's just it, things change by the minute, but it is so exciting. And I encourage people to reach out to us. Go to our website, TeresaForGovernor.com. Email us. And then I also wanted to add to Trent, uh, the reason I am going around listening and talking to everyday Nebraskans is because I'm the only candidate that realizes this election isn't about me or any one person. This is about Nebraska. The governor is just there to lead the citizens and be a representative of their voice and implement what the citizens want to see happen in this great state. You bet. I want to give you the last word. I appreciate you both coming in. Uh, To the people of Lancaster County and Lincoln, uh, Teresa Thibodeau, any last words? Lancaster County, it would be a pleasure to serve as your governor, and I humbly ask for your vote on May 10th. All right. Appreciate you guys both coming in and uh, answering some questions. And, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting uh, last sprint. Uh, Folks, if you're paying attention here in Lancaster County, we have a lot of contested uh, GOP positions. Um, Of course, the governor race uh, is getting some national attention. Uh, Teresa Thibodeau's uh, been in twice. 
which I very much appreciate, uh, as well as some of the other candidates. And we've had candidates that refuse to come on. I don't really understand that. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, kind of get the platform out there, and uh, you've got your team together, and we wish you the best of luck, no doubt about it. Thanks a lot, Jack. It was a pleasure being back here. Yeah, Thank thanks. you very much. Yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, we've got the little two-minute segment, and then uh, we will have Charles W. Herbster on. And in that two minutes, I'll try to uh, break down a couple of things that I know from the news today. 1,499 KLIN. You're getting the 411 from DTL. With Commander Jack Riggins on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, we just uh, finished up uh, having uh, gubernatorial candidate uh, Teresa Thibodeau on. Um, thought she did a good job, you know, explaining um, her leadership and, and what she sees for Nebraskans. I also thought that, you know, we asked her about the dynamics in the race and, uh, and some direct questions because... All of my listeners are so confused with what's going on um, in all of this scandal stuff. And the the Cornhusker Guardian published a very good article today, um, again, that uh, gives us conflicting narratives. And I wanted to ask her about that. And she said she had been around Charles Herbster plenty and hadn't seen him grope anybody. Um, She laid out, um, you know, what women should do as a survivor and 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 you know see something say something um and again laid out our platform so i appreciated it um we're going to have uh, charles w herbster on in the second segment by phone um interesting enough um a straw poll um done by the lancaster county republican party um has just come out in the gubernatorial race um, here in Lancaster County, and Charles W. Herbster uh, is taking 62% of the vote. That's a pretty, um, a pretty astounding number. Um, and if you're in the Herbster uh, camp, that, that's a good number in this straw poll done by the Lancaster County Republican Party. Um, and if you're not, uh, you don't like that. Uh, but it's, it's very interesting as we get closer to probably one of the most contested and odd uh, GOP primaries in the history of Nebraska. Again, Charles W. Herbster will be on next, 1499.3-KLIN. Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3-KLIN. All right, we're back. Second segment, uh... I think this is the first time on Drive Time Lincoln that we've actually had two gubernatorial candidates back-to-back, but it's probably that time of the year. Um, let's welcome uh, gubernatorial candidate Charles W. Herbster back to Drive Time Lincoln. Uh, how you doing, Charles? Jack, it is great to be on with you as we have been in the past, and it was really great to see you yesterday at the big rally we had out of Greenwood. And so. Uh, we're working hard. You already know that. We've been discussing that in the other radio programs. I'm at Falls City today campaigning. Uh, going to be an event tonight for the public Falls City school system where I'm going to pass out our scholarships uh, from the Charles W. Herbster Foundation. And we are just working hard. I'm not even paying attention to the fact that I've only got a week left, but it's coming up on us quickly. 
Well, if you want to be a governor, I think you got to be used to working hard, and uh, you've uh, kind of relayed your life story, and you're probably used to that. I'll say this: uh, the rally, I, independent of partisan feelings, I mean, a former president of the United States was here in Nebraska, and that doesn't happen often. And it was an honor to get to hear him speak. Uh, and uh, it, you know, uh, kudos to former President Trump. Well, I'm sure not everybody agrees, as we know in politics, we all have the things that we agree and disagree. But I would have to tell you, uh, I've been with Donald J. Trump far before he was ever president of the United States and certainly was the first one uh, by his side when he announced uh, June the 16th in 2015, uh, then became the national chairman of his Agricultural and Rural Advisory Committee before he was elected in 2016, and then he appointed me to that to work with the agricultural sectors all across the United States during that four-year period. Then when he ran again in 2020, he also selected me to be the chairman of the Farmers and the Ranchers Coalition. Uh, I would tell you, I've been to every debate. I've been to many, many, many rallies. Uh, He was on target yesterday. He did a great job. He asked me to fly back with him on the plane last night. So we flew back to Mar Largo and we uh, met this morning. And then we, uh, I headed out, came back to Nebraska. But we had, we had, it was a great rally yesterday and huge group of people. The sun was shining. Today it's raining again and it's 47 degrees and it's cold. You know what, Jack? I think maybe the Lord gave us yesterday as possibly. The only day left between now and this weekend that we could have had a chance to have a rally with that kind of warmth and that kind of sun yesterday. Yeah, you bet. Uh, You know, one of the things I was thinking about, because I I listen to my listeners, obviously, I get lots of texts and emails of of what they're thinking about. And I think that uh, a lot of people are confused about how you've structured your business. And I thought about that because I've heard you maybe as a radio guy kind of talk about it. And and I'll let you explain it in a second, but I guess I necked it down to thinking of the current governor, Pete Ricketts, and his business. And it, it was almost as if, yeah, if their business could only take money from people in Nebraska, then it wouldn't have turned out to be TD Ameritrade that did business all over the United States and the world. And I don't know why Nebraskans haven't been able to get that, but would you explain your business, you know, model and how you've done that? Well, let me do, let me do a couple things if I may, and I'll be respectful of your time. First of all, I own six companies today and they're based in five states, but three of those companies, Uh, One is outside of Washington, D.C. That's North American Breeders. That company is almost 60 years old. I purchased it in 2015 from the founders of that bull stud, and I bought the entire bull stud. And, of course, now, as you know, I ship embryos and bull semen to 13 foreign countries, plus Canada, Mexico, and the United States. Then in 2017, I purchased... AgriSolutions in Red Oak, Iowa, a family business started by the grandfather, now the son, the grandson, the granddaughter, the rest of the family works there. I purchased that business. And then, of course, 30 years ago, Judy and I purchased Conklin Company. That would be the largest company we own today. It's a direct sales company. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. I became a Conklin distributor in 1976. 
I was 21 years old, and so I worked the business as a distributor, building a direct sales organization all across the United States for 15 years. The Conklin family uh, got into their 70s. Uh, They had all kinds of challenges of trying to find somebody to run it. And the company had done really, really well, uh, you know, up until probably about 1986. And then they stepped away, tried to hire people to run it, and it just came out to be a total disaster. And so, anyway, we we ended up buying it in 1992. Today, I've got about 27,000 families that represent the Conklin Company in 48 states. Um, We grew 27% last year, the year after the pandemic. And even the year of the pandemic, we grew. And that's because I never broke the law but I didn't mandate anything. We continued to have meetings. We continued to have events. Uh, We're uh, primarily uh, agricultural, commercial roofing type people in the company, and they look at things a little differently than if you lived in New York City or Los Angeles, California. Uh, All of those three businesses that are outside of Nebraska were purchased. They were never in Nebraska. They were never moved. And when I purchased them, they were all family businesses, almost identical to what Warren Buffett does. We just finished the Berkshire Hathaway meeting in Omaha, Nebraska this past weekend. Warren Buffett has bought Borsheim's at Nebraska Furniture Mart, Seize Candy, and I can go on and on. And those were all family businesses. So in every case, when I bought those businesses, those families asked me two things. Number one, Charles. We're going to ask you never to change the name. We want you to leave the company the name that it is because it honors somebody in our family or honors something in our legacy. And so I've done that. I've never changed those names. I've never combined those companies. And then secondly, they asked me, Charles, would would you please not move the business because we want our employees to be able to stay here. We don't want to disrupt their lives because they've been with us all of their life. And, for instance, in over in Red Oak, Iowa, the, the, the son, the grandchildren, uh, the, you know, the rest of the family, they're all employed by me. I, they all work for me today because I, I bought the company from their grandfather, and I promised them to do the same thing. Kansas City came into play simply because the company is not in Kansas City. The manufacturing facilities All those things are in Minneapolis. That's where the company's been since 1972 when they built the first manufacturing facility on 26 acres. What's in Kansas City is a small office building where we do the training because we have people coming from California, New York, Maine, Texas, Florida, and it worked really, really well when we made that decision almost 20 years ago to do that in Kansas City, plus we have a training center called the Judith A. Herbster Training Center, where we give hands-on training to our commercial roof contractors all over the United States. So all of the things that have been targeted on TV and ads and things that have been said are simply not true. They just don't know the history. And the direct sales industry is a totally different industry. I have said for many, many years, Uh, the direct sales industry is probably the one industry that transfers over to being in 
the political field, and I don't like to say politics, because number one, Jack, I'm not a politician, never have been a politician, don't want to be a politician. I'm a businessman. I'm a business builder. Now, after all these years of struggling, we've had some success, so now I've bought some other companies, and they're all involved in something that I'm already involved in, whether it's agriculture, commercial roofing, trucking, oils, lubrication, all natural probiotics for all animals in the livestock industry. We have five different divisions. We manufacture most everything we sell. It's American-made. It's American-owned. We don't, we don't do any manufacturing or have anything done overseas. And I can just tell you that the reason direct sales and the political life is similar is because these people do not work for me. They are not my employees. Yes, we have some employees, certainly, in our manufacturing and distribution and all that. But these 27,000 families are independent, and uh, they buy a distributorship for them to get started. By the time they get all their training and their travel and everything, they're looking at anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $5,000 to get started in our business. So you have to build a relationship with them. They have to trust you. They have to trust that your products are of incredible quality and consistent because we manufacture primarily everything we sell. And then it's their decision whether they want to buy from you or not. You know, we're blessed in the state of Nebraska. We talk about not doing business in Nebraska. Well, the Dahlgren family out of Bertrand, Nebraska, Cal Dahlgren and his son, uh, for the last several years, have been the largest purchaser of Conklin Agricultural products for a one-unit farming unit than anybody in the United States of America. They, they, they purchase well over a million dollars worth of products from us every year. And they don't have to do that. They don't work for me. They can buy fertilizer and agricultural products from their co-op, from their local FS, from their local uh, distributor of chemicals. They don't, they don't have to buy from Conklin, but they do because we have a relationship with them. They trust me as the owner of the company. They know my manufacturing is consistent, and all of those things come together. So I think I think that's maybe what you're looking for. It's, well, it's a totally different business than a conventional business. Well, I would say this. If anybody wants to jump in and be your competitor, you just gave them the blueprint. Um, but what it sounds like to me is you're a Nebraska businessman with a distributed enterprise. You know, that's that pretty correct. common stuff. Um, and, and I'm trying to get facts out to the people on all the candidates. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, because we just had Teresa Thibodeau in here, and I know she had been part of your crew, but I asked her if she had ever seen any of the accusations, you know, behavior, and she said no. And at the same time, I've got an article from the, uh, the Cornhusker Guardian today that, you know, really is talking about establishment power players in the state attacking you. And I have to be honest, my listeners, I mean, some of this follows a pattern that we saw in Supreme Court hearings and, honestly, Donald Trump's campaign. I, I want to give you a chance to just talk about that again and, and your your side of this. Well, let me say this. It happened with Clarence Thomas. It happened with Donald J. Trump. It happened with Brent Kavanaugh. And I can show you the pictures on my iPad. I sat behind Mrs. Kavanaugh 
and the family uh, with Brett uh, up at the table answering questions for three days, would walk out with them at night. I saw what it did to him personally and their family. Now we have another replay of the old Democratic playbook, which the Republicans are using, and they're using it on Charles W. Herbster. And you and I have talked about polls before. I don't pay a lot of attention to polls. I work and campaign every day like I'm 10 points behind. But the fact is, you you can look at what Kellyanne Conway does. I think she's probably one of, if the not best, pollsters in the entire United States of America. She's the only one that predicted in 2016 what Trump would do and what his success would be. So most people know that I've been leading in the polls for many, many months, way back to when Donald J. Trump, our president, endorsed me. And this is about establishment. It's about swamp. It's about power. It's about control. And I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus. I'm not here to mention any names. The voters of Nebraska are very intelligent people. They're smart people. And I think most of them see through exactly what's happening. At least I hope and pray they do. I can share with you that in four of the six companies that I own, they are ran by women very powerful women who do an incredible job, and I have done more to empower women in the executive workplace and in the world, and even through the Conklin Company, through our distributorships, and I have been around women of all ages all of my life. My grandmother taught me early to respect all women. You pull out a chair for them. You open the car door. You help them take off their coat. I'm just going to simply say A lot of this happened about two weeks or three weeks before this election because it was used to see if they could scare me off. It was used to have me lose focus and spend my time talking about it. I can assure you I have never done anything like the allegations that have come forth, never even thought about it. And I'm also a fairly smart guy. I've had a lot of challenges in my life, almost went bankrupt three times. I mean, I've been through the ringer, okay? But I can tell you one thing. I'm not stupid enough to do something like this in an event in 2019 when there was somewhere between five to 650 people in the room. I had the head table up front. I was one of the speakers that night. I could go on and on and list those things. It didn't happen. It never happened. And I don't know, even without me asking, uh, several, several ladies, several girls who have worked with me on the farm or in my businesses have come forth on Facebook and have written things that says, hey, no way, no how, not possible. Um, I'm sad that in Nebraska or any place that it has come to this, but we're learning. Jack, you know, you interview a lot of people when the structure when the power feels like they're going to lose the power they know they're going to lose the control then they start scrambling to do anything possible to take down somebody 
just so they don't have to give up the power of the establishment. And we've seen this playbook over and over again. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I have nothing to run from. I have nothing to hide about. And if they think they're going to scare Charles Herbster away by these accusations, they're wrong. Now, they may win the battle, but I assure you. I got about 10 seconds. I got about 10 seconds. Would you categorize this as power versus the people? No question about it. And I'm going to be a governor for the people, by the people. Thank you, Charles W. Herbster. Thank you, Jack. 1,499.3 KLIN.